Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. I wonder if you've ever been to one of those countries where there are soldiers uh, just kind of hanging out in the streets. You know, for us here in Australia, in Tasmania, uh, it's very rare for us to see a soldier uh, in their full get-up. But when we go to other places, we know that that's uh, not the case, don't we? If we, uh, uh, when I went to Cambodia, I saw, one of the first things I remember seeing was a man with a rifle uh, dressed in his military paraphernalia just kind of hanging out and then another one and another one Uh, and then my friend Abraham decided that he'd take me uh, to a temple uh, on the border with Thailand and there we saw not only soldiers with rifles but we saw their uh, trenches and and their binoculars and all the things that they were using to look over at Thailand should they just start having a war again like they do from time to time over the border and I thought to myself why are we at this temple again? Uh, far too close uh, to somewhere I don't want to be. Uh, and of course, uh, for many of us, though, thankfully, we have that experience where those sorts of things are not that familiar to us. I know uh, when I first joined the military, uh, seeing actual rifles regularly uh, and then handling them regularly was something that I wasn't used to and I had to get used to, to so that now I no longer even really think of what it is that I'm seeing and looking at and holding. Uh, but for many of us, uh, we have no familiarity at all with the, the weapons and the, uh, uh, the, the mechanisms of war. Uh, But for a first century citizen in the Roman Empire, in a town like Ephesus, they, of course, had great familiarity with the Roman soldier. They would have seen them constantly around. And in fact, Paul, who who wrote Ephesians, uh, had many interactions with Roman soldiers. In fact, uh, some scholars believe that he was probably chained to one in jail while he wrote this very letter. Perhaps he was sitting there looking at the dude he was chained to as he penned the words that we read today about the armour of God. And so when Paul uses this metaphor, this analogy uh, of, of armour uh, and the armour of God, he does, he does so knowing that it's a vivid picture, much more vivid than perhaps for us today, uh, that he is painting for the Ephesian Christians. And yet, uh, it is still a picture that is very helpful for us as we round out the book of Ephesians. Of course, if you've been coming along for a little while, you'll know we've been working our way slowly each week through Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And you'll know that his big point is that we've been raised with Christ to live a resurrection life that we were once dead in our sins, but in Christ Jesus we've been made alive, that this new life we find uh, comes, uh, is made real in the church, that we no longer find ourselves identifying by our race or uh, uh, the things that we like, but our primary, our primary identifier is our faith. So we no longer call ourselves Jew or Gentile, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. 
And given this fact that we've all had this same experience of going from death to life in Jesus Christ and that we now live as one united community, Paul has been encouraging us and encouraging the Ephesians time and time again to live out this truth, to live lives of life, that is to flee the things we used to do that were the the fruit of death. So don't do unholy and impure things, rather seek holiness and purity and seek unity as we live together. Uh, And last, over the last two weeks, we've seen Paul encouraging that kind of holiness of living and and seeking the good of the other in unity uh, comes right uh, home to us in our closest family relationships between husband and wife, between parent and child and between those with whom we work. And I wonder as we've worked through the book over the last little while, you've uh, found yourself thinking, gosh, this is hard. Like, wow, there is a lot that Paul is calling us to do and, man, I'm falling short. Like, I'm finding it really hard to lay down my own desires for others. I'm finding it hard to to be in a church where I'm with people who I wouldn't normally associate with and trying to find unity where uh, maybe there's not similarity. That's hard. And and I'm finding it hard to uh, respond in love when people respond to me uh, in an ungodly or inappropriate way. And how do I do that? And it's all so hard. And it's hard, the Christian life, because it's a battle. Because as Christians, we've moved from death to life in a world that's still dying. We've moved from darkness to light in a world that still loves darkness. And now Paul finishes his letter by reminding the Ephesians and reminding us of the truth that as Christians we are at war with the devil and his henchmen. And if we're going to succeed, we need to know our enemy and we need to be fully prepared for battle. Now, it's interesting that Paul only spends one verse here in chapter 6, or sort of one and a half verses, talking about who the enemy is. Verse 12, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And back in verse 11, he says, put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. This devil and his henchmen, the powers and authorities, uh, the spiritual forces of the heavenly realms, Paul says, this is whom you're fighting against. But he just leaves it there. And you think, tell me more, Paul. I want to know more. But of course, he didn't need to say more to the people he wrote this letter to because they knew. Let me read to you from Acts 19, uh, one of the stories about Paul in Ephesus. So Paul's in Ephesus and here's what happens. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits and they tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and I know about Paul, but who are you? 
Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. The Ephesians knew spiritual warfare really, really well. It had left people literally bloodied and bruised. But for whatever reason, that is not our reality. I don't know when the last time you were beaten up by a demon was, but uh, I suspect it wasn't recently. Uh, and so uh, we need to take a moment uh, in our context and in, uh, in our day here in Hobart to remember who it is that we're fighting against. The principalities of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We're fighting a cunning, powerful, evil enemy. And many scholars have said that perhaps the devil's greatest act of cunning is to make us think that he's really nothing more harmful than a funny little red dude with tiny little horns. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's an English pastor, says this, I'm certain that one of the main causes of the ill state of the church today is the fact that the devil is being forgotten. All is attributed to us. We have all become so psychological in our attitude and thinking that we are, that we are ignorant of this great objective fact, the being, the existence of the devil, the adversary, the accuser, and his fiery darts. You see... The devil is real. The devil has power and the devil will beat you if you go into battle dressed only in your Sunday best. You need to rely on God. You need to seek his defence. You need, as Paul says in verse 10 and 11, to be strong in the Lord by putting on the armour of God. Paul doesn't just use this analogy of armour because it's nice and it's memorable. He uses it to remind us that, it's, that as Christians, we are in a war. We need God's help. We need his defence so that we can fight this battle in God's strength, not our own. And so, as Paul uses the uh, armour of God to illustrate his point so beautifully, I want to take a moment to work our way through the individual bits and pieces. First of all, Paul says, verse 14, Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Truth, Paul says, is what we need most of all. It comes first. When the devil seeks to attack us with his cunning lies, the, the Christian needs to rely on truth. When the devil says, you're a hopeless sinner, God hasn't really saved you, why do you, don't you just stop resisting and give in? There's, that'd be more like the real you anyway. We need truth to bat those accusations away. We need the words of Paul in Ephesians. I was dead in my transgressions and sins. 
I used to live that way, but because of God's great love for me, he has made me alive in Christ Jesus. He has seated me with him in the heavenly realms. It is not by works I've been saved, but grace, so that no one can boast. Truth, the great defender of the Christian, the thing that holds us together in the heat of battle, just as the belt held all of the Roman soldiers' armour together. But it's not just God's truth, it's us as truthful people, that as we seek to live uh, as Christians in the world and seek to uh, fight against the devil and his schemes, we need to be people of truth. What a great way for the devil to sow discontent and to destroy the unified community of God that uh, he is making uh, in the church than by having people in the church believe lies, spread half-truths and do whatever it takes to break this beautiful thing that God is making. God's truth and our desire to live as people who speak the truth, not lies or half-truths, are what we need to stand firm as we face the devil and his schemes. But it doesn't just stop there, because he's a mean and feisty foe. And so, Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Again, uh, we have this spiritual reality, just as with truth, that God gives us the righteousness that comes from God, he says in Romans, and we need this to protect us from Satan. We need to remember that righteousness is a gift from God, that we haven't earned it and that we also can't unearn it. Not only that, being reminded of what God has done for us in giving us the gift of righteousness, we need to live that out because as we live out the righteousness that God has credited to us, it helps us to resist bad behaviour. It is harder for Satan to tempt someone who has built a habit of right behaviour. So we need to be buckled up with truth. We need to have righteousness Uh, on our chests. Next, we need the shoes, uh, uh, our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, verse 15, or as uh, one scholar calls them, gospel boots. We need the good news of what God has done for us to be our foundation, to keep us firmly planted on the ground. You see, unity is not built on us all getting along, it's built on the gospel. That's where our foundation is. That's what's on our feet. And we need to be not only grounded in that, but we need to be ready to move in that, to to let the gospel come forth from our mouths and speak uh, to others about all that God has done for us. Because as we share the good news of Jesus and people respond to that, we're taking ground from the devil. Buckle up the belt of truth. Put on the breastplates of righteousness. Stand firm in the boots of the gospel and take up your shield of faith, Paul says next. Because with this we can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. We need faith to protect us as we enter this fight. 
He will continue to accuse us, to lead us astray and to make us believe that we are not good enough, that God is not gracious enough. He'll stir up doubt and resentment, rebellion, desire for lust, uh, fear. And when we find ourselves with these sorts of thoughts, I know I found myself with these sorts of thoughts, how do we get through it? If we give in, how do we get through it? With faith that helps us to stand firm and bats those temptations and those accusations away. I have a really clear memory uh, from many years ago where I was leading on a camp and uh, some people, we met some people, we took the kids down to the beach down at Conningham uh, and uh, in the beach there were some sort of drunk dudes having a swim uh, and that, that was fine until they sort of started doing some, like behaving a bit inappropriately towards sort of like the 13 year old girls that were on camp so we sort of went and told them to uh, move along uh, chaps uh, and they didn't like that too much and they knew where we were from uh, and so little did we know, thinking nothing really of it, uh, later that night uh, they sort of came for a little bit of an uh, assault on our campsite uh, and so that started by stealing some things, then they started throwing some things, then they started yelling, uh, and we're sort of sitting there going, huh, this is a little bit terrifying, and it was sort of a fair while, it was long enough ago where it sort of fell to like the four blokes uh, to protect the, the base, uh, and so we were thinking, right, what are we going to do? Um, and uh, the leader the, of the leaders had this great idea that we'd just go and get them. Um, and so we thought, OK, you, you, you've obviously got this job because you know what to do. So uh, off we trotted into the darkness towards the yelling. And then we got about halfway there and we thought, no, this is a terrible idea. Uh, and we quickly about turned and uh, went back inside. And then they turned up in their car. Uh, up the top of the campsite and they were going back and forth and back and forth revving their engines and kind of baiting us to come back out and we decided that we would go back out uh, and we sort of tried to chase them off. We'd rung the police of course but we were sort of like what will we do in the meantime? Uh, so we tried to chase them off and that was scary and I don't know why we did that but anyway we did uh, and the whole time I was terrified. Like I was literally like I'm going to die tonight, uh, uh, you know, and all these kids and, oh my goodness. Anyway, eventually we thought, oh, someone thought, let's pray. This, this would be a good idea uh, uh, in this situation. And I'll never, ever forget it to the day I die. But the moment we prayed, I, my fear literally melted away. No facts changed, uh, no yelling stopped. But all of a sudden, I just wasn't afraid. Uh, and it was sort of amazing. And you know what it was? It was having just enough faith to ask God for help and him meeting me there and supernaturally giving me the gift of supreme trust in his goodness and protection in that moment. I think a great example of holding on to the shield of faith that sustains us uh, in all kinds of situations where we feel we're under attack. 
Buckle up the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Be ready with the boots of the gospel. Hold on to the shield of faith. Paul finishes with two more. Put on the helmet of salvation and take hold of the sword of the spirit in verse 17. Helmets uh, are a funny looking thing, but I remember uh, as a kid, uh, I used to play cricket and I, in my very early games, uh, I was not paying attention once uh, and I copped a ball to my shoulder uh, and it was going pretty fast and it hurt a lot uh, and uh, had a pretty na- nasty bruise for a long time and it meant that I was extremely scared of cricket balls from that moment going forward. Uh, and so uh, one day, uh, and that was not very good because in cricket if you're scared of the ball... That's not good, right? Because if you're batting and you're scared of the ball, you back away instead of going forward. You know, so like you back away and you expose your stumps, but when you're a good batsman, you sort of stay forward. You go back and across, not back and away. Anyway, cricket coaching lesson over. Uh, I sucked at cricket because I was scared of the ball. And one day I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put one of these helmets on. Uh, And so... uh, even though I thought I looked like a total fool uh, uh, and I'd always put pads on, this day I thought, I'm going to put this helmet on. And you know what happened? All of a sudden, I had confidence and I could step back and across and I could play the pull shot. And I thought, ha, huh, this ball can't hurt me, except if it hits me like anywhere up here. But, you know, small details, my head's fine, my beautiful teeth that my parents have spent thousands of dollars on, it's, you know, we're all fine here. The helmet gave me confidence. And that's what our helmet of salvation does too. It gives us the confidence to go into battle knowing nothing can change the truth that we've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. That it is our salvation that allows us to stand tall and fight on and nothing is going to take that away. Not the devil, not no one. Put on your helmet of salvation. Trust the truth that you will not lose it because God's grace is bigger. Put on your helmet, stand tall and take up your sword. The Bible is the sword of the Spirit. The Bible, the Word of God, Paul says. Because God's Word is a powerful thing. It enables us to defend attack. It encourages us to stand firm. It compels us to go out and tell others about what Jesus has done. It changes hearts as as people read it and digest it, as the Spirit moves. I once heard a minister say that his church had grown uh, massively because he encouraged each person there to simply try and read their Bible with someone else who they knew in their life especially if they weren't someone who called themselves a believer. And he had story after story after story of of, of people going up to someone they knew and saying, hey, look, I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with. Would you be interested in that? And some people said no, and some people said yes. And they didn't have a program to follow. They didn't have an expert's guide. They just sat down with the word of God, starting in the gospel, reading the story of Jesus. And guess what? God's word is a powerful sword. 
And the sword of the Spirit went to work and time and time again, people's lives were transformed simply through the reading of his word. The great tragedy of many a Christian church is that they think the best way to enter the battle with a dark world is to conform to the darkness, to take a sword, not of the word of God, and fight back, but to take a sword to the word of God and to cut bits out, to seek unity at expense of the word, to do all sorts of things that in fact weaken the church for the battle it faces. God's word is powerful. It's changed my life. I'm sure it's changed yours. It will change others. Let's trust the word of God. And finally, Paul says, as he finishes the analogy of armour, to be prayer warriors. Let's be prayer warriors. We arm ourselves and we pray. Verse 18, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Paul says, as we enter the battle, we do it as people of prayer. And we pray, what? For anything and everything with all kinds of prayers and requests. But especially Paul asks for a prayer for himself and a prayer for the fellow believers that God's word would continue to spread. And so I pray and I hope that you'll join me in praying. Praying that we would be a people who rest in the mighty power of God. Praying that we would be a people who rely on his strength, who wield his word and who pray constantly in the spirit at all times with all sorts of requests. And I pray that as we do this, we'd rejoice as we see the devil shrink back, as we see victory, little victories, knowing Jesus has won the great victory over our enemy. For we have been raised with Christ to live the power of a resurrection life. Amen. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you were encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church. www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless.